Imagine what it was like for the Apostle John to be deserted in the South Aegean Sea on a small island. There, on Patmos, all alone for several years, John was assigned to record visions from heaven. The final result was the book of Revelation, penned in Greek, the common language of the day. And today, on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll invites us to engage in a study of this divinely inspired book. He's teaching from the first chapter of Revelation. We'll begin with prayer. Chuck titled his message, The Curtain Rises, The Drama Begins. In a world that's lost its way to the truth, we're grateful that we have it within the covers of this book. Our Father, thank you for communicating to us in, in uh, our own language and touching us where we live in our very world, this 21st century, though recording these words in the first century was a man who couldn't even imagine life as we have it today. Thank you for your transcending presence that reaches far, far beyond any date, any time of any date, any event of any time. And thank you for your ever-widening reminders that you are the sovereign king of our lives. Thank you. These are treacherous times, Lord. You knew what would be said this past week before there ever was an earth. You knew the events that we call current, and you knew them before they had even transpired or begun to form in their earliest stages. You know the outcome of all things as well, and, and you guide through them moment by moment. You are most pleased when your children rest in a walk based on faith in you. We, of course, not knowing any of this, pray for the one who leads our nation. We pray for those who lead our military forces. Guide, Lord, even as you guided John in the writing of his words, guide our country. There are those whose personal cares are so great, the national events mean hardly anything to them. We pray for those who hurt, those who grieve, those who this past week have lost or recently have said goodbye to their closest. Comfort them and encourage them and give them strength beyond their own. We thank you for the privilege of our work and we think of those who have no job we pray that you would open a way for that to be rectified, that you would meet a need in those lives, meet the food needs of the seminary, the clothing needs of those students, work through the generosity of our own congregation as they give and as we give, even today, as we invest in things eternal, may we learn from you to give as you have taught us, to give joyfully and generously with great delight. We love you, our Father, and we love your Son, whom having not seen we love, whom having not seen yet believing we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We anticipate as we read this last book and learn of it and from it, we anticipate his soon coming. We will see him as 
he is. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. We commit to you now the furtherance of our worship. May we be found lost in wonder and love and praise as we extol the great name of Jesus who was and is and is to come. In his great name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. You're listening to Insight for Living. To dig deeper into the book of Revelation with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures guide by going to insight.org studies. Teaching from Revelation chapter 1, Chuck titled his message, The Curtain Rises, The Drama Begins. The setting of the first vision occurs at the beginning of verse 9, where John introduces himself uh, in an almost amateur manner. I- I'm John. I'm, I'm, I'm John. Doesn't make us wait till the end of the book to know who wrote it. He tells us in the front end. I, John. And he doesn't attempt to pull rank. There's something authentically simple about his opening lines. Uh, I'm your brother. Don't you like that? Here's an apostle who walked three and a half years with Christ. Here is the apostle who was one of the three closest. Here is the apostle who witnessed the transfiguration of the, of the living human Christ. Here is John who is given revelation as no one else is given. And he simply says, I'm, I'm, I'm your brother. I'm, he's no attempt to impress. There's an there's a unspoken humility in the introduction of himself. Hi, I'm John. I'm a, I'm a brother. And then he goes on to identify with his readers by calling himself a fellow partaker. The, the word, interesting word, has in mind the idea of co-sharer. I am one with you in three areas. First, in tribulation. We are together in this tribulation. Uh, By the way, that's why he was on Patmos, as we will see in a few moments. Sent there by Domitian. It's a wonder he wasn't killed. Domitian demanded the name deity. He required his subjects to call him Lord, Kurios. And John, of all things, called another Lord. And because of that, he exiled him to Patmos to live in a penal colony and break rocks and live an isolated life. Hopefully that would silence him forever. Silence him. He just left us with the Gospel of John, three letters, and the book of Revelation. Not bad for a little time on an island. But he's a fellow sufferer. He's also a a co-sharer in the kingdom. He's in the company of the redeemed, if you will. Uh, The same king who rules over your life in Christ rules over his life. And in that sense, things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. And so he bows before the same Lord, anticipates the same coming as we who name the name of Christ in this generation. I'm a co-sharer in the endurance. But it was possible because all of these things were true in Jesus. See how he inserts that? In Jesus. 
a co-sharer in tribulation and the kingdom and endurance. All of the above in Jesus. Christ drew him and them together and them with us, giving suffering dignity and giving the kingdom a, a, a distinct flavor and, and providing the patience needed to endure. He was on the island called Patmos because uh, of his unequivocal, faithful, uncompromising commitment to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus. I didn't, I didn't break under Domitian's threats. This is a man who has an undeterred resolve. He will be there till he dies. And it's because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And you know, folks, uh, John has no corner on this kind of life. How wonderful it is to come alongside believers in this generation. They're not all on the mission field. Some of them in the business world, many of them keeping the home fires warm in the rearing of small children. Others living lives as single parents some as aging Christians, alone and quietly, still standing for the things of, of the Lord. So don't, don't, don't hallow the name of John above any who would be in the family qualifying in the same way as John does. Suddenly, with the ending of the word Jesus, he says, I was in the Spirit. He says that four times in the book of the Revelation. Some outline the book according to that statement, I was in the Spirit. It appears here and in 4.2 and 17.3 and over in 21 verse 10. So at each of those junctures, at unique points, he says, I was in the Spirit. And I take it he is caught up in a vision directed by the Spirit of God. Maybe we could render it, I, I, I had a vision inspired by the Spirit. It was on the Lord's day. And there are some things he hears and there are some things he sees and there are some things he does. Before we get there, stay with vision. What does that mean? One man writes, his experience transcended the bounds of normal human apprehension, transported to an ecstatic plane of existence and perception beyond the familiar world known to all of us. John has moved beyond the realm of the familiar and has been escorted like Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, in his case to the third heaven. John is taken to a place where he witnesses the ethereal. Again, adding to the challenge of his writing, he is now putting what was seen in a vision in the language of his own time so that it would ultimately communicate by God's grace to the language of any time, ours included. And so caught up in this vision, which I have never had, and most of you, no doubt, have never had, and I don't encourage your trying to make it happen. I don't sense John was looking for it on the Lord's day. I just sense he is in it. And while there, he hears a voice. Behind him, there is a loud voice, like the sound of a trumpet, circle-like. It wasn't a trumpet blast. 
It was like a trumpet blast. Trumpets are used through a great deal of the scriptures. Often they are the clarion call announcing a, a particular command. In those days, armies were led by what we would call a bugle call. Armies advanced at the call of the bugle or stopped or retreated. Armies are awakened in the morning with the sound of the bugle or put to sleep at night with the sound of taps, the sound of the trumpet. What does it mean? It's a clear, crisp, unmistakable sound. You don't think of any other sound when you hear the sound of a trumpet. Usually it's a solo or among the solo instruments of an orchestra, and it, it, gives, a, it gives a distinct uh, dimension to the sound of music. And in this case, the voice is like the sound of a trumpet. And I take it that it was clear and crisp and penetrating, perhaps commanding. And the voice said, write in a book what you see and send it. I've underlined the verbs. One of the secrets of good exposition or careful students of the scriptures is connecting with the verbs. They always are hints to an understanding of the meaning of the, of the sentence. He's given two commands, write and send. Look at where he's to write. He is to write in a biblion. We get our word Bible from this word. It could be rendered more exactly scroll. In those days, books didn't look like they do today with a binding and pages in the middle and, and uh, 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 easily read texts, sometimes in different colors, with uh, assisting maps, as I use in my study Bible. Uh, books in those days were scrolls. Sheets of paper handmade from the papyrus plant, a kind of reed, were glued into strips about a foot wide as long as 30 feet and then rolled up. The scrolls were handwritten with ink in even columns a few inches wide. Since Revelation was written in Greek, the columns went from left to right. Uh, on this pulpit is an example of a scroll. If you haven't looked closely, we designed it with that in mind. That's the ancient look of the ancient Bible. Scrolls were then protected, sometime buried in the earth to, to, to be kept in what they call the sacred place. And we have so many in the heritage of the Jews to thank for keeping the scrolls. He's beginning to write a scroll. Hebrew is written right to left. Greek, like English, is written left to right. And so he now, writing in Greek, begins his small columns, writing on his foot-wide scroll and rolling it as he writes. And as it would be read, it would be rolled as it would be read, just as you would turn the pages of a book. So he writes in the scroll, and he writes what he sees, and then he, he is to send it. And the seven locations we've looked at earlier are the locations of seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, when I read the list, I'm intrigued. Where is Colossae? Where is Corinth? Why wouldn't the church in Thessalonica be included? Why these seven? There were perhaps dozens of churches by now that had sprung up under the founding of Paul and, and other apostles. And, 
and uh, some that are not recorded in the scriptures of the New Testament. These seven are representative of the ages down through time and what they struggled with uh, uniquely as the Lord Jesus reveals are the same struggles that happen in churches right through the 21st century. And that'll all open up to us as we get to chapters two and three. But that's where he's to send them. So I take it he was to, once he finished his writing, was to roll up the scroll, bind it, give the scroll then to one who was to take it to the first church, take it to the second church, read it, take it, and then to the third church, and was to give it in each place to the one who led that church and would be the reader, would read the scroll to them. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. What did John see? Verse 12, down through verse 16, we're told that, he turned to see the voice that was speaking with him. Meaning he turned to see the source of that voice that sounded like a trumpet. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching down to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. So don't go any further. Don't read too much too quickly as you read the scriptures. Any part that you don't get, pause there. Look at. Let your eyes study it. Pray. Meditate on it. Think of other sections of scripture that might add insight to what you're reading as you, go your, as you work your way through the text. Now, he doesn't see immediately a person. He sees lampstands. Uh, we've all seen menorahs, single base seven-stemmed candelabra found in homes that are Jewish homes and those of us who love the Jews. Uh, we happen to have a menorah in our home. It's a single base with seven tops, if you will, that candles can be placed in them. But this doesn't say a single base. It says seven lamp stands. I take it that they're more like floor lamps that hold the oil that fuels the fire that gives the light. So we have seven stands holding light that are called the, the, the golden lamp stands. Now, what in the world are they? Well, thankfully, we have verse 20. So if you want to jump ahead on your outline and also in your Bible, take a look at the last part of verse 20, where we read the seven lamp stands are the seven churches. Ah, already we've got an answer. So we don't have to wonder what Swindoll's going to come up with to make those lampstands represent something that sounds really exciting. Well, they were exciting, but they aren't in my imagination. They represent the seven churches who were to receive the, the scroll. They are the lampstands. So back to verse 13. In the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. There are those who have translated that, or I should say interpreted that, to mean an angel. There is no reference to winged creatures. There is no reference to a supernatural looking presence. There, there really is no word that says angel here. It says like a son of man. Uh, I, I take it to be uh, a man. Uh, and if the normal meaning makes best sense, stay with it. Notice it's like a son of man. It's like a, like a person. He's clothed with a robe. He's got a sash around the, the, uh, his uh, chest. Uh, and I, I have in my 
in my library volumes on Revelation, and there are pages written on the robe and the sash and the, and the, the gold. And, uh, I don't know where they get it, but it's, it sounds good. I just don't think it's worth your time. And so we'll press on. Uh, it, it's all imagination. You, you can make it whatever you wish it to make. I think let's stay with what's obvious, and that is, of course, the person here. Now let's look at his head. His head and his, and his hair were, were white. How white? Like white wool, like snow, circle-like, like. Doesn't have snow on him, doesn't have wool. It's white like that. You saw snow recently, and we all talk about uh, White is the driven snow, or pure is the driven snow. And there's a, there's a white surrounding his head and hair and, and his eyes, like, circled it, like a flame of fire. They're, they're a penetrating, and, and they're alive and uh, warm. They're like a fire. His feet, like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. If you have, as I have, worked or been around a, a furnace where metal is heated, you know that when the metal is removed from the furnace, it's the color of the fire often. If the fire is white hot, the metal is white like the fire. And if it's bronze, there's a, there's a turning of the bronze uh, when it's hot. And there's a glow about it. And that's what he sees when he looks at the feet. How, how unusual. And his, his voice, like the sound of many waters. Whew. This gets better, doesn't it? Well, it does. You're sitting there like it doesn't, but it does. I mean, we've got this voice coming out uh, from within this head and this hair. And, and the voice is, is like many waters. If you, if you spent much time along the coast, you, like John, who would have seen it, in stormy days on Patmos, you've, you've heard the waves crash to the point where the person standing right at your shoulders can't hear what you're saying because the crash of the waves is, is, uh, is deafening. Or if you've gone to Victoria Falls or Niagara, uh, you, you know the roar that comes from the water that pours over and down into this enormous body of water and the, and the, the uh, Water vapor comes up from it. And I remember standing there with Cynthia years ago, and you know me, I'm going to talk. So I'm standing there trying to tell her something. She says, I can't hear you. So she's yelling back, and I can't hear what she says. I can't hear you. And so I yell louder, and she finally says, shut up. <laughs> and and uh, so I do. I, I realize we can't communicate here. It's so loud. There's no other voice that can be heard. It's like that sound of many waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. What are the stars? Verse 20, jump ahead. You've got the answer. Middle of the verse, the seven stars are the angelos of the seven churches. The angels. Angels. Okay, let's go there. Uh, could have been angels, a protecting angel over every one of the seven churches. Perhaps churches have uh, guardian angels like we do. Each one of us has at least one. My children had a multiple number of guardian angels as they were growing up. and All of them are greatly relieved that they're all grown up. Uh, just a little fun there, folks. Um, 
Angelos, angelos is a, is, a, is a masculine word. So there are no feminine angels. There are no baby angels. They're all grown. I know it ruins a lot of greeting cards and a lot of fun stuff. Uh, but they're all um, adult male creatures, angelos. But that most often means messenger, messenger. In fact, it was a word used for messengers in the first century. I, I rather suspect these are not actual angels, but the messengers who, who minister in the seven churches. We would call them the pastors of the seven churches or the leading elder of the seven churches who would be the reader of the scroll. And so the seven uh, messengers are in his right hand and, and he's surrounded by the seven churches. The curtain rises, the drama begins. That's the title that Chuck Swindoll chose for today's message. And there's a lot more that Chuck wants to show us in this passage, so please keep listening. First, to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at insightworld.org. We're just getting started in this comprehensive verse-by-verse study in the book of Revelation. And at the outset, I want to draw your attention to a few helpful study tools. First, did you realize that our website includes Chuck sermons for this series and a whole lot more? By accessing the Inside homepage, you can learn about each presentation, and you can also download a free online study tool for Revelation. We call this feature Searching the Scriptures. You'll often hear me mention this resource at the beginning of our program. If you haven't taken advantage of searching the scriptures, check it out. It's interactive, which means you can type your notes into the online document or feel free to print it out as a PDF. Recently, I saw a note from one of your fellow listeners who said, I use the Insight app. I study each series because they help me know the Lord my Father better. I also use the searching the scriptures studies so I can dig even deeper. Here's the place to find the Searching the Scriptures study notes for Revelation. Just go to insightworld.org studies. There's no cost for using these resources, but as you're willing to partner with us, we deeply appreciate your voluntary donations. Every dollar given to Insight for Living is deployed for this singular purpose, to make disciples of Jesus Christ around the world, just as He commanded. To give today, call us. If you're listening in the U.S., call 800-772-8888. Or you can give online at insight.org donate. I'm Bill Meyer, inviting you to join us when Chuck Swindoll continues our study in Revelation chapter 1, next time on Insight for Living. The preceding message, The Curtain Rises, The Drama Begins, was copyrighted in 2003, 2006, and 2024. And the sound recording was copyrighted in 2024 by Charles R. Swindoll, Inc. All rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.